we're going to look at, when I look at this, I want to look at uh, Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verse 34. Uh, but don't put it up until I tell you there, Rakesh, okay? Hallelujah. <clears throat> God is good. So anyways, uh, Matthew 21 and 22. Why is it so important to spend so much time on Matthew 21 and 22? Well, for starters, there's, you know, I, I remember a song by Buffalo Springfield. If you old timers here remember the old music, and it was a, a kind of an anti-war song, but I liked it because it showed both sides, you know? And it was, uh, there's a man with a gun over there telling me I've got to beware, you know? And, uh, you know, there's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's something happening in Matthew 21 and 22. And it's, it's clear, but it could be clearer. And it's getting clearer more every day because God is polarizing this country. And uh, we're going to find out from the, if, we, if we do that one song, uh, He is Worthy. We're going to find out about, just in short few, few words, about, you know, what God wants to do in this country. And uh, in just a very few words. But in Matthew 21 and 22, uh, we're going to be in 22. This is after the second day that he is there in Jerusalem. And the second day means there's only Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He is crucified on Friday. So this is happening real soon. And the next five days are going to be very important because he is going to outline uh, why God is withdrawing from Israel at this time, at that time. He's not done with Israel yet. That doesn't mean he's not working with them throughout earth ages. Uh, just a quick thing about when he comes into Jerusalem the second time, you know, the first time it's on the donkey, the second time he comes in from Bethphage, he sees a fig tree and it has leaves on it. So he goes over there and there's no figs on it. And there's a whole story there, big story there. Uh, we're going to skip it for a little while. But he curses the fig tree. And before they, in one, uh, in the Mark, they notice it on the way out of Jerusalem. In uh, Matthew, they notice that it withers away instantly. Now that fig tree is a figure. Did you get that? Get that? Is a figure of what's happening through the whole weekend. In, as re, in regard to Jesus and God turning away from Israel. 
But in the, the early 1900s, uh, maybe uh, 1910, around there before, a little before after, uh, because of World War I and, and what was happening in our uh, world to that, at that time, the church came together in California, Church of America came together in California for a great big prophetic conference. And they had, uh, they were concerned. And they were thinking, the Lord's return is imminent because of the upsetting things that were going on in the world. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> excuse me, at the conference, they had all agreed that uh, the Lord's return is not yet. They don't know the day or the hour, but they agreed it's not time yet. Because later on in these uh, five days, Jesus says, when the fig tree blossoms, you will, you will see that the times of the end times have begun. Everybody follow me so far? And so they had decided that the fig tree that was going to blossom was the nation Israel had to become a nation again. This was like 40 years before it did. And they said, until the fig tree blossoms. So you see, the nation Israel in the Old Testament was referred to a fig tree. And Isaiah talks about the fig tree and not being fruitful. And so, <clears throat> When he curses that fig tree, it's also a figure of the nation Israel. And then later on, he says, when it blossoms. So in, in between time, God is preparing it to be, um, become a nation again. In Isaiah 64, he says, who has ever heard of such a thing. And this is one of the reasons that they said the fig tree has to blossom. He says, who has ever heard such a thing? A nation born in a day. And that happened in 1948. And that's what they were talking about. The nation Israel blossoming or the fig tree blossoming. And so when he curses that fig tree, that is a signal that there's going to be a change. Now, many eschatologists, many, many, probably the majority of evangelical eschatology, if that's too big a word for you, I, I, I get it. Eschatology means the study of the end times. Many eschatologists believe that uh, uh, what happened in Daniel's 70th week, you can find that in Daniel, the ninth chapter. I'm not going to go over it very long. I'm not going to talk about it very long. Is that there were 69 weeks, and then there was 
the 70th week. And they believe that Daniel's 70th week is put on hold for the times of Jacob's trouble or the times of the Gentiles. And so what that means is the 69 weeks, which is very interesting because if you measure from the times that they were released from bondage in, uh, in Babylon, when they were released from bondage, 69 weeks, which is not seven days, it just means seven, 69 times seven, that's all it means. And if you take the 69 times seven years, it comes into the day that Jesus entered in Jerusalem. Boy, that alone has got to be able to be a mind blower. So if you, if you went by the calendars of those days, and so they believe that what happens, what's happening when he curses that fig tree is that there's going to be, or when he is crucified, there is going to be a seven uh, year period that has yet to come. Now some believe that it already has gone when come and gone, okay? But most eschatologists, that doesn't mean that they're right, but most eschatologists believe that that week was put on hold for the times of the Gentiles and that that week is yet to come. And we're going to be a part of it even if you pass away tomorrow. You're going to be, Jesus is going to come in the clouds and we're going to be with him. So, <clears throat> When Jesus comes back for Israel, we're coming back with him. And we're going to say to that east gate that is at the corner of the temple uh, that's going to be restored, open up your gates and be lifted up your doors. And the King of glory shall come in. So, but that time right there, from that point on, when the fig tree is cursed, it's symbolic, a figure, of Israel. And then what happens after that is very significant for us because there is these themes that are in the next two chapters, Matthew 21 and 22. We're going to be looking at... The, the last thing, not the last thing chronologically, but the last thing. And I'm going to tell you about the four themes in, uh, in Matthew 21 and 22 is the transferal of authority or the, or the, uh, the um, transition of authority through Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. And by the way, you know, I think, I always think of that uh, verse. When I always think of that verse, I think of the verse in 1 Corinthians, which says, 
the preaching of the cross, which is the death of Jesus Christ, the preaching of the cross to them that perish, foolish. But on us to us to that are us that are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. And of course we we know that the gospel, the second part of the gospel, is the preaching of the cross. The second part is the preaching of the resurrection. And without a crucifixion, you can't really have a resurrection. You know. So anyway, you get this transition of power to the Gentiles. We're the Gentiles. And then, and then he starts giving these parables. Parable after parable. Jesus said in Matthew 13, the mysteries of the kingdom of God is revealed in the parables. And so you have all these parables and all these parables are about the authority and the rights and the uh, privileges and all the things of, that go with it is, is transferred. And so we have the, the first theme is the transferal of the priesthood. We are a priest unto God. We're a holy nation, a peculiar people, a royal, a kingly priesthood, a royal priesthood. And we are taking over the Levites. And part of, see, here's the deal, is the whole reason for the transferal to the Levites in the first place and, and uh, Jacob, Israel in the first place was because of the birthright. It's the transferal back. When I say back, it all goes all the way back to Genesis, the third chapter. First prophecy in the Bible was to the devil. Seed's going to come for a moment and crush your head. And that's the birthright. And there are many elements of the birthright. And one of them is the priesthood. And so we have become a kingdom of priests unto God. Now that priesthood is, ends when we go to heaven. And the part of what is the priesthood? We are in to be intercessors between God and, 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 and man and between the devil and man. You know, we were talking, I was talking about open my eyes that I may be a wondrous things out of thy law. Well, <clears throat> I always like that verse because in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, if our gospel is hid, it is hid from them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, God calls God, little, big God, big, big G, calls little G, Satan, the God of this world. He calls Satan the God of this world. The God of this world blinds the minds of them that believe not. That's part of our intercession is to God, open the eyes. Open the eyes of their hearts, Lord. We intercede on their behalf. Like Jeff Staples, as if we're the ones that are lost. You see, open the eyes of their hearts. 
And so the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. And that's what we should be praying for in this nation, that God would open the eyes of their, their uh, hearts. And so it's the priesthood. Part of the element of the priesthood is the restoration of the tabernacle of David where we are called back to worship God. Uh, there's a song we're going to sing, uh, He is Worthy. And then it says, is he, uh, is he worthy of honor and power and glory? Is he, worthy, is he worthy of this? And the congregations respond is, He is. He is worthy. Oh, I can't wait to sing that song. I almost want to cut my sermon, sermon short just to hear it. So the tabernacle of grace, bringing, bringing us back to praise and worship of God. And then uh, the third thing is that God has bringing us back to the pre, part of the priesthood, part of the tabernacle, is to crush Satan's head. To crush his head. Well, let me, let me, let me re... Um, if, Reevaluate. Briefly, it's mentioned, and briefly means important. Doesn't mean unimportant. Briefly, Jesus refers to, and he refers to it in many other scriptures besides right here. The stone the builders rejected has become the headstone of the corner. And so that's the third thing, is the building of the body of Christ, building of the temple of God. Uh, we are, uh, Rodney shared in the pastor's lunch into this week, we are built as a habitation of God through the Spirit, a holy temple in the Lord. You and I are not just here to restore the tabernacle of David. We are the tabernacle of David. And I'm going to tell you something. This may sound negative, you know, because I mean it negatively. Well, no, you're not in the mood for any of that. So, okay. Romans 11.11 says, We have been saved. Here's another purpose. We have been saved to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Well, we're on our way, but we got a ways to go. I think they're doing a much better job of it in Africa. We're, they're doing an amazing job. You're hearing a charismatic, spirit-filled, Pentecostal, tongues-talking, God-walking church and uh, we make up 75% of the Christians today because about 70% of those are in Africa. Provoke the Jews to jealousy. 
that can only be in one way, in our intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. So that's really the third one. The fourth one is to step on Satan's head. Now this is the last thing that's mentioned. This is the last thing that Jesus mentions in chapter 22. And I'm going over it because we're not going to read it. But uh, to uh, the, that sit here at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. That goes all the way back to the prophecy in Genesis 3. And we have been born again. We have been saved. One of the purpose of God, you know, prothesis, prothesis, put God forward. One of the purpose of God is all these things, these four things, okay? Now I said there were four things. I'm going to talk about number four, the fifth thing, which is, uh, you know, it's like the most important thing in this country is that three-letter word, jobs. So anyway, so I'm just going to point that out. Uh, what? Three-letter word, jobs. It's not a three-letter word. This isn't four things. This is five. The fifth thing, the most important of all, this is what God created you for. Verse 34. Now the entire time, there are so many things going on in these chapters, and one of them is they don't know it, but all the religious orders come against him. All the religious order are shooting questions at him, trying to trip him up. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the scribes, all of them are just pounding on him, pounding on him. And you know, that was to fulfill all righteousness. The lamb has to be examined before the sacrifice and he's being examined by them. And this is the last of the examinations. Verse 34. There we go. When the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. And one of them, which was a lawyer, ah, you not only have a Pharisee, a legalistic Pharisee, but this guy didn't get enough legalism in his doctrine, so he got it, he became a lawyer. Okay, leave it up to uh, the Bible to foresee the importance of lawyers. The last examination that they give. The lawyer asked him a question, testing him, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And so Jesus says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And leave this up there just a minute with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. I put this on a blackboard a few weeks ago. 
and I, uh, the, the, what Jesus is quoting there is primarily through, from the book of Deuteronomy, which it refers to th this verse. Uh, it, Jesus is referring to those verses, but primarily to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And you can find it in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, and, and uh, chapter 10, verse 12. And so I wrote down all the times that Jesus says this, quotes that verse, and all the times the other Gospels quote that verse. And I wrote down all the words that are used because in some verses it says, love the Lord thy God with all thy spirit. You know, and then thy soul. And then it says thy body instead of mind. Sometimes strength instead of body and so forth. And I wrote down all the words that are used there. And I just want to go over these words very quickly. And it says this. And, it, and some of them say, instead of uh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, uh, instead of uh, love him, it says serve him. So uh, thou shalt uh, serve him. Uh, with, with you love him with your heart, soul, mind, body, spirit, strength, ability, force, emotions, thoughts, will, intentions, attentions, focus, desire. Pretty covers everything pretty well, doesn't it? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all, with everything you've got in your being. This is why Jesus died for us. And we're going to look at that, uh, talk about that even more. But this is the purpose of God. This is why you were created. And this is why everything has happened in the Old Testament is to bring us to the time when Jesus is crucified, and it is why Jesus died for us, so that we could love the Lord our God with everything that we have. Right. And then it says this, next verse. This is the first commandment, and the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy, uh, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then it goes on to say this. These two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All the law, everything, everything in all. The Ten Commandments are all balanced on these two verses of scripture. Jesus died, and why did he die? Why didn't, why didn't he just tell Israel? Well, he did. Well, if they were doing it, why did he die? Because they weren't doing it. Why weren't they doing it? Because they couldn't. Now, if you want to study Galatians, you'll find out 
that the law was a schoolmaster. A schoolmaster that was, no, <clears throat> it says schoolmaster. Not the best wording. It was understood when it was used, but not the best wording words for it. It was a schoolmaster wasn't this, you know, like we go to a school, the schoolmaster, he's like the administrator or the director or the principal or whatever, you know. But it wasn't so when he says the law is a schoolmaster. That word schoolmaster was a particularly young man that would lead, take the boys or the girl, and the girl, well, it was just boys to the school, take them to the school. They led them to the school. And that's what the entire Old Testament was doing, was leading us to the true school, to the true master, to the tr true teacher, and that was Jesus Christ. And so all the commandments are balanced on these two. Now you can take that off right now. May go back to it in a minute. And I'll tell you immediately following that, just to tell you that number five or of four themes, number five, uh, was really, the reason I say that is I, I kept skipping one. And I, I kept saying, wait a minute, I'm skipping one. There's five themes. Number four is step on Satan's head. And that comes after this because he turns to the lawyer and he says to the lawyer, I have a question for you. And he, sa and he says, who was Jesus, who was the Messiah's father? Now this is Jesus talking. And they say, well, he's the son of David. That was another thing they didn't like when he was coming into town because they were yelling, son of David. He's the son of David. And he says, if he was David's son, that doesn't mean immediate son, like Solomon. It meant, you know, in the lineage of David. He says, if he was the son of David, then why did he call him Lord? Because in Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, you know, the... Lord called his, him Lord, saying, sit here at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. But there you have crushing Satan's head there. Okay? And they go, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I don't know. <laughs> and they said, and you know what, after that, they had no more questions for him. <laughs> And I was like, his questions are harder than ours. So you go over all these things here. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. <clears throat> I've compared this before, if you remember, to the f foolish, or the, not the foolish, excuse me, the rich young ruler. A rich young ruler is very wealthy. And so he says, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? 
and he says, uh, do this, 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 and this. And he says, I've done all those things from my birth. And so he says, sell all that you have and come, come follow me. And the rich man went away sad because he was a, a rich man. I'm going to tell you how rich he, you know, he not only said, sell all you have, but give it to the poor. Maybe if he said, sell all, your, sell all you have and campaign my mission here, my campaign, he might have said, yeah, I'll do that. Because he could have financed, you know, the, where he fed the multitudes twice? The rich young ruler could have done that and not even, you know, put a dent in his treasury. That's how rich he was. But he went away sad and Jesus wept, cried because he went away sad. And then he says to the men, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says, it is so hard. It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And he meant a real needle. One that we know what a needle is. The eye of a needle. A camel to go through it. It's impossible. You cannot put, unless you cause him to go through toward, toward a black hole and become singularity. Of course, then there won't be the eye of the needle anymore. It'll be singular too. No, you can't do that. It can't be done. And then they start saying, it's not possible to be saved. It's not possible to inherit the kingdom of God. It's not possible to, to, to follow him, to follow you. And Jesus says, the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. <clears throat> and this is what's happening right here in this chapter right here. He says, well, first of all, can you not see that this is impossible to love God with everything you have? If you say, Oh, no, I can see that it is. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. I mean, and that's nothing compared to this list. That's nothing. That's just a beginning point. So you sell everything and you give it to the poor. That's not going to have you love the Lord thy God with everything that you've got, with all your thoughts. I look at that and I say, no, 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 no. I can't do that. And that's when it says, that's why Jesus died for you. So that he would enable you to do that. So maybe like you're like me. Maybe you get saved. You get born again. And you're ready. You know, being born again. I will love the brethren fervently with a pure heart. 1 Peter 1.23 Yes, I will. We can't even forgive people that have, you know, we can't forgive people. We have ought against people. Forgive people. That's just, that's like step one. Step one. 
You can't get past that step. You can't get to the next step. So you could love the Lord thy God. Why? Well, maybe I got ahead of myself here. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. You know, I was just thinking about this when I was meditating on these scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. I was thinking of my neighbor across the street. Well, I'm all right so far. Next one down. No. Never been there. Don't know them. Haven't met them. Next one down. Huh, huh. I know one neighbor down there because he came and worked in, in my house. Really sweet man. I haven't gone down to <laughs> go down and visit them. I think they might think I'm a Jehovah's Witness. But I'm only one. I'm only one person. <laughs> they come by twos. I, I, that's why I don't come with a second person. I was saying, knock, knock, knock. They open the door. I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. I'm your neighbor across the street. May I visit with you a while? Well, what's that? Share the gospel. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Pray that their eyes be open. Go down the line. Baker Row. It's what I call something else now. Bevins something. Go down the line. Would that be loving them as myself? No. I have trouble loving people in my own house as myself. People I would give my life for. But when it comes to my own feelings, they can be more important. I'll lay, I will step in front of a bullet for anybody in my family. And I know I would. I wouldn't hesitate. When I said to God, when Amy was sick with cancer, I said, Lord, put it on me. Let me take her cancer. And then I said, I love her so much that I, I would do that. And I thought I heard the voice of the Lord speak in my ear, spiritually, not audibly. Me to you. I loved you more than that. So, love your neighbor. Wait, wait a minute. Who is my neighbor? The rose across the street. Wait a minute. He shared that scripture, love the Lord thy God with all our... It's in Luke the 10th chapter, if you want to read about it. Around the 27th verse, it starts off, 26th verse. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. No, it starts with the 28th verse. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. And one guy tried to trip him up. It says to justify himself. 
Who is my neighbor? And like Jesus does most of the time, he answers him with a parable. And he gives the parable that we all know, the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man is on the road and he is struck down by thieves and robbers and they beat him and leave him unconscious on the side of the road. And they steal everything he has. And uh, a priest comes by and he sees him and he passes on by. And a Levite comes by and he sees him and he passes on by. And a Samaritan, why a Samaritan? I want to tell you, the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. Nothing. When Jesus goes through Samaria, he didn't have to. Well, he had to, but he wouldn't have. The Jews usually go around. That's the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. They didn't have anything to do with it. They didn't like it, him picking this Samaritan because the Samaritan goes down and that's where um, frequently Kermit always says, pour in the oil and the wine. It doesn't sound like it, in his wounds. Wine was like fermented and it was like a vinegar. It was, it was like an antiseptic in the oil was to give moisture to it. It was olive oil, represent the anointing oil of God. He poured in the oil and the wine, and then he took him, he put him on his own horse, and he held him there well, until he got to the next sound, and he took him off and he brought him into a healer's house, and he says, take care of him. And he paid any cost that there might be. And he says, if, if there's any, be any additional cost, I will come and I will pay for his medicine. I will come and pay for his medical bills. I will come back. I'm coming back. If there's been any additional cost, I will pay it. Who, are, who is your neighbor? The rest of the world is our neighbor. Africa is our neighbor. Yes, the person across the street. The people in the hospital. I said Nancy Trebo. So, listen, I, Arthur, Art is so hurting right now with his back. And I've been there with back pain where it's just, you can't think of anything else. So I want everybody to reach out to Art right here, right now. Oh, Heavenly Father, pour in the oil and the wine. Touch that back with your anointing oil. Touch that vertebrae, Heavenly Father. Touch those those tendons and sinews and bones and everything that's there in that myelin sheath where all the nerves are that's crushing and pushing on, Lord. 
relieve that pressure. We give you praise and worship and honor and glory and power for saving us, for loving us and watching over us and protecting us. But right now, we ask that you be touched with the feeling of this infirmity. As you said, I'm touched. You're our high priest that's touched with the feeling of our infirmities and that we may find grace to help. And I pray for grace to help Art in this time of need. And we give you the glory and the praise and the honor in Jesus' precious, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I, I, I find that, like the rich young ruler, I find loving God with everything. And if, it's, if that's not enough to convince you, loving your neighbor as yourself, I find that impossible. Well, I'm born again. I'm not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Now that I should stand on that by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Whereby are given unto me exceeding great and precious promises. That by these promises, I'm a partaker of the divine nature of God. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. And it goes on to say in that same chapter that I should love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again. I'm born again, so I am enabled. Christ has enabled me. We should look to those scriptures by faith. You know, Jesus, God is in the inconvenience. And I was telling you that, you know, Rodney may mention, Kermit may mention, Heather Morris is in the hospital. Jackie Schaefer is in that nursing home that's near Cooperstown. Norm Moran, Jackie, who did I say? Oh, thank you for getting me that one. Jackie Schaefer's live and well on planet Earth. No, she's, she's okay. Jackie Turner. There's so many Jackies here. I'm just pleased I didn't say Jackie Yarbrough. <laughs> that would have been a real gaffe. Jackie Turner's in the nursing home. Norm Moran is in the nursing home behind Fox. Lance Redenberg, he's in room 206. Norm Moran is room 115. And Nancy Taribo's in Bassett. And she's ridden with cancer. If you don't know who she is, she's the one that has the raspy voice. I remember the first time she was in church. Very annoyed. I didn't, you know, that's not letting things be done decently and in order. And then I heard a sermon about, but it starts off like, the verse starts off with, let all things be done. And I'm talking about, I started to think, I, I bet that's decently in order to God. You know, she's been asked to not come back to some churches because of her voice and her, you know, 
outward sounds. <laughs> she needs, she needs love. So she's in, in Bassett. And I wish I had a hundred of them in here. A hundred Jackie, Jackie Schaefer's in here. <laughs> I'm going on. Last thing. I believe, now there are differences of opinions about this. Some believe that the entire seventh chapter of Romans, Paul was writing about pre Jesus, pre salvation. I used to believe that. I don't anymore because I found out that I identified with it too much now. And it says, you know, the things I wanted to do, I want to do, I do. I know that, see, that, that isn't pre-salvation for me because pre-salvation for me is I did what I wanted to do. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has gone his own way. I did what I wanted to do. I had, well, I did try to quit and it, it, smoking cigarettes. I actually, it, it, it's very easy to quit smoking cigarettes. I did it hundreds of times. Never lasted past noon and I usually didn't get up till then. So I smoked. But yeah, in that regard, the thing I wanted to do, I didn't do. The one thing I wanted to stop doing, I didn't. But Paul says a whole chapter dealing with the things I want to do, I don't. He's talking about wanting to do things for God. The things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I'm getting right at the end of the chapter. Oh, wretched man that I am. I thank God through Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And he gives us Romans 8. In Romans 8, there's the answer. Jesus died so that we could love God with all our heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Wow. We can. All right. What's the difference? Jesus died for me. Romans 6, you can see it very clearly. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet. Not God, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh. I, no, that's another gap. That's Galatians 2.20. Romans 6 says, My old man is crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth I should not serve sin. Verse 11, reckon ye yourselves dead indeed unto sin. So there's, there's that. But then there's Romans 7. And then there's Romans 8. What's the difference? <clears throat> what happens is you get born again. You know you're saved. You know you're delivered. And for a while, you're on fire. But then as time progresses, you start realizing the things you wanted to do, you don't. The things you don't 
want to do, you do. Why not? Why have you not? Because you forgot to rely on God. Because any, the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. Through Jesus Christ you can, but only through Him. You have to rely on Him. That's the only way. You know, you can't get, if you take your eyes off of Jesus, you get out of the boat, you're gonna sink. You start to drown. What is it? Peter sees Jesus come and bid me. If that's you, Lord, bid me to come on the water. He says, come. He gets out of the boat. He starts to walk. He's saved. He starts looking at the waves, looking at the wind, looking at the storm, looking at all the things that say, God is a liar. And he starts to sink. Romans 6, you get out of the boat, you start to walk, you start to sink, because you look at the waves. You gotta turn your eyes back on Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for dying for us so that we could be saved. And we could love you with all our hearts. Anytime we take our eyes off of you, we're going to sink. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Because I want to depend on God that way. So the first way that I come to God and start my journey is through desire. I desire my Father. I desire Him. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you before I, before I get sit down, I don't know if everybody in here is saved. I don't know if you kind of like fell through the cracks or you, you didn't really make any first step. But you see, Romans 10, 10 says, if we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, there is no resurrection if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. They were more deist than they were Jehovahist. But if we believe there's a resurrection, then we believe we have to believe that Jesus died for us and Jesus was crucified and buried. According to 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and we confess him, means to agree with God. See, that's what Adam and Eve didn't do. They didn't agree with God. If we confess him to be our Lord, we shall be saved. If anybody in here has never done that before, then today's the day.
Now is the time. Now is the time for salvation. And if you haven't, you raise your hand, put it up, and you say you want to right to today. I'll pray with you, we'll all pray with you, and you, Christ, can you become your Lord and your Savior?